Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Matt McDarby, thanks for joining me on Listening with Leaders. You are the president of United Sales Resources, found at usr-llc.com. Thank you so much for taking your time out to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I appreciate the invitation. So tell us, first of all, tell us a little bit about your company and what you do, and then we'll get into how you got there. Sure. So the core thing that we do is sales leadership development. So we train, coach, advise sales leadership teams and individual sales leaders, mainly middle market companies, but also some small. We have some large enterprise clients as well. And uh, the focus is on diagnosing and then addressing um, the effectiveness of of that sales management team, because my experience over the years has been if you if you really want to change and affect the performance of a sales organization positively, got to have an effective sales management team. Otherwise, all those other investments into training and tools and, and they, they they don't pay off. How do you how do you get into this business? So I worked in the I grew up in the IT and IT services business selling. I've been selling for 30 years, right? So um Born and raised in the New York area. My first job was there. Um, moved to DC to uh, marry my wife. We've uh, been with for 27 years and um, got recruited eventually by a company that was in the traditional sales training business. Um, there was a guy named Neil Rackham. Well, he still is uh, around. Neil Rackham wrote a book called Spin Selling, founded a company called Huffweight, and I went to work for them. So mm-hmm. I sold for them um for about five years and then was eventually their vp of enterprise sales so i was selling and leading in the sales effectiveness space um and that's really the last two-thirds of my career the last 20 years has been in that world and it wasn't until i was exposed to the um to rackham's models which are all based in behavioral research and analysis um it wasn't until I worked in that environment, until it was presented, great selling was presented to me like a process. I didn't really fully get it until that moment, until I had that opportunity to work for that organization. So um, I worked for them, um, had uh, great success, got promoted, led an enterprise sales team. But as that was going on, I realized that there were organizations that were that were having great success with our training models and methods and others that were having just sort of so-so, you know, not a lot of lift or just a little bit of a bump. And then they kind of, you know, the results went right back to where they were before. Um, And I realized the difference, if we were selling the same training, same models, same content and tools, same people delivering the training, one organization was getting a great result. Another was getting sort of so-so. Um, that there was something different there. And it turns out it was the commitment level and the effectiveness of the sales managers. 
that was different. So the organizations that were really able to make best use and get great return on their investments in the training were the ones that had either already had effective sales managers or had hired well and had managers who were at least willing to work at it and were committed to getting better right alongside their salespeople. So that was a pretty powerful lesson for me. And I thought at the time, so this would have been 2010, 2009, 2010, there really wasn't anyone in the market focused on the, the total development of sales managers. You could buy a program that was all about how to train a sales manager on coaching a specific method, prospecting skills or spin selling or whatever. Um, but nobody was really helping managers figure out how to do things like make time to coach or develop their coaching skill or motivate people or, or how to hire change. or how to hire the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was doing that. So I took a shot and started the business and it's been 13 years. And so that's the core focus. Wow. Um, and we're still still doing it today. And, and we branched out. We can talk more about that, but it, we're, it's all sort of an, an extension of what have we learned about what sales managers need to be really effective. And so we do a lot of diagnostic work and coaching, but then there's a whole array of other things that we do to support managers over time that, that is proving really effective. How much, how much resistance do you see from higher level executive management to investing in sales management leadership skills? Well, I mean, there is, there is resistance. And I mean, not surprisingly, the organizations that um, are able to sort of grow over time, that are able to go from where they are today and develop and achieve something far greater tend to be led by people who, who want to make that investment, who know that their role, like if I'm the CEO and I view part of my role, a big part of my role is still developing people. Right. There's a really good chance that my organization is going to continue to grow. And the same goes for chief sales officers and chief revenue officers or heads of enablement, the people that hire us, the leaders that, know that the investment they make with us is an investment into the development of their people. And if their people are developing, then that's really the thing that's going to drive the business's growth. For the leaders who are like, ah, we're not sure we want to make the investment, I can almost predict, well, I know where you're going to be in a few years from now. You're going to be pretty much right where you are, right? Okay. So um, it, it's, it's not a super difficult case to make when you find the right leader. And, um, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with leaders that want quick fixes and, and, you know, they want results to turn around tomorrow, but they're not willing to invest in the development of their people. I'm like, well, I, we're not free. We're not the right people then. It's right. just not, not the way to get there. What is it that gets you really excited every morning to get up and go to work? I love developing people. I mean, when I was a, I've been a, uh, like I said, an enterprise sales leader, I've been effectively a chief revenue officer, an interim leader in a bunch of places over the years. And the thing that I love most is when I know that coaching and development rhythm that I've had with them has resulted in them getting better and they're more excited about approaching the work. Um, you know, it's, it's not unusual for me to be hired to work with people that are sort of, maybe they've hit a plateau, they're stagnating a little bit, they're starting to, there's some doubt creeping in. Am I really, am I really ready to take the, make the next move or, or you know, am I an, am I an imposter? There's nothing better than getting people to see, no, there is a way for you to achieve 
that vision of success you've had for yourself, but we need to just, we need to kind of slow it down and diagnose what's getting in the way. Mindset, skill set, whatever it is. Right. So that's the thing that I love most about the work. And what is it that's unique that you bring to this that other people don't? I mean, there are a lot of people that have experience like I do, but I think the thing that's unique about me and my approach and why we've had success over the last dozen years is my diagnostic skill. Um, you and I had a conversation about listening skills, right? right. It, it, it led to an article. Right? Um, and it turns out that, and some of it's, a, a lot of it is learned, but some of it's innate too, that I'm just a naturally skilled listener. And I've learned the value of asking clarifying questions and not jumping to conclusions. And I've like a lot of leaders, I've paid the price of jumping to conclusions and making the wrong decision and paying for it, right? So now I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. So, so I think it's the really the thing that's most unique. My greatest strength is my ability to diagnose issues and opportunities to see things that other people don't see. I have the benefit of seeing a lot of the same situations over and over and over again. So it's tempting to sort of offer a quick solution, but I just haven't found that to be the way I can create maximum value for people. It's really kind of slowing it down and helping them to go through the process of diagnosis with me and seeing what it looks like. Right. And I think that's the most unique. Early problem solving doesn't help. And telling people, sometimes telling people what the problem is if they don't self-discover it isn't always useful as well. So right. what are the kind of common problems that you see in sales management? Well, they all, I mean, the symptoms are similar. You know, we're not hitting goals. Obviously, right. that's a biggie. But then there's kind of the next level uh, where leaders will come to me and, you know, we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not as efficient as we could be. We're not as active as we could be in the market or we're not as effective. We're not getting the outcomes that we want. We're not booking meetings. We're not getting access to key people who buy what we sell. We're not doing a good job of, you know, and it, it sort of goes deeper and deeper um, in terms of the level of diagnosis like we're not hitting results. Why is that? Well, we're not as efficient or we're not as effective or both. Well, why is that? Like, let's keep going. So um, the most common issues are, um, frankly, it's kind of ironic as I'm, I was thinking about saying it, it's that the sales leadership team, people in those roles have not done an effective enough job of diagnosing the issues themselves. They don't know. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's the most common problem. The leaders actually are either already solving for the wrong problem or they're sort of standing pat because they don't know what to do next. And so that's the we, you know, we that's where we add value first. It's like, well, let's just take a step back from the situation and 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 really figure out what is getting in the way of you achieving the results that you need. And that takes time sometimes. How often do you find that the sales manager has been promoted into a management position because they were an excellent salesperson? but they don't know anything about leadership and management. A lot. I mean, and, you know, thank heaven for that, Doug. I wouldn't have a business otherwise. <laughs> right? but, uh, no, it happens all the time. Uh, that, and because it's a different job. It is. Now, the, the key is one of the things that I think is uh, of great relief to those newly promoted managers, right? If they're really effective salespeople, one of the things they don't realize is that there are a lot of similarities to effective selling, especially consultative selling and coaching. So if coaching is a critical part of the job of leading salespeople, one of the early lessons is let's take a hard look at 
what you've done professionally up to this point where you have skill, right? You're, you, you know, you, you plan your conversations, you ask questions, you listen, you guide people to solutions. Today, it's customers. Tomorrow, it's your internal customer. It's your people, right? So I see it all the time. And there are some people, frankly, that won't make it as, as leaders. These would be the people, remember I was talking about the, you know, the, the CEO or the leader who says development's not important, right? Right. The same sort of people as they're rising up the ranks who are like, ah, I, I just can't invest. I just have to go out and get results. I can't invest in the development of other people. I'm like, well, that's somebody who's, who's not going to succeed in this role right. because that's what the job is. So much of it. Um, so yeah, we see it a lot, but it's uh, how do we help them play to the strengths that they bring to the job? And then realize where the differences lie and how do we help them close gaps? And for some people, it's a quick process. And for others, it's not. It takes it takes time. Right. It's a new, it's a whole new skill set for them to think about. And my yeah. your point. Yeah. Uh, so how much, how much listening, how much listening skills do you teach people? Most it's been my experience that most people, many people are not particularly good listeners. And in sales, yeah. listening is the name of the game. Um, I mean, when I'm teaching salespeople, I say for the first five minutes, don't don't ever say a word. Just ask questions, listen, repeat back, reflect back what you're hearing and build rapport before you ever get into what you're there. Mm -hmm. for. Um, how right. much of that, how much of that do you teach to people? Well, in the one to one sales leadership coaching work that we do, it comes up a lot. Um, and if you like picture it, like if you were the leader that I was coaching in this scenario, um, as often as possible, we want to talk about real world situations. You've right. got Jane on your team. She's got a development issue or whatever. There's an important conversation that you're going to have. Let's, let's play that out. I'm literally, we're going to practice this. Um, and the reason I say that is listening skills require practice. And it's one thing for people to hear that message. And the way you've described it is right. Like let's, let's, you need to the ratio of talk time, you versus them, if you're selling or if you're coaching, it's got to be a lot less you That's right. talking, right? So let's pay attention to that ratio. That may be the first lesson that sticks. Like, wow, okay, I have to, I, I don't, I shouldn't be filling the time with my voice here. I need to let this person speak. And what's going on while that's happening is the next thing. What are you doing while they're filling the time? Are you right? Are you listening? Are you taking notes? Are you thinking about the next thing you're going to say? So it's really cycles of, and practice that uh, that are required to build that skill. And that's what a lot of that one-to-one -one coaching is about. It's let's just take specific situations and, and apply it. Right. And then sometimes we have to model it, right? We've got to model it too. That's right. That's so. right. I find that I find that a lot of people think they're really good listeners, but they aren't. And they're surprised that they're not good listeners. But then when I explain you, you're only as good a, a listener as your family of origin taught you because if you didn't have if you were in a family of talkers and non-listeners then that's what you learned mm. and to your point i mean the way i describe it is you know when when we're a little small we learn how to crawl and then we learn how to stand up and then we learn how to walk and then we learn how to run and then about four, three or four years old we get our tricycle and we get a little older and we get a little bike with training wheels on it right and then finally the training wheels come off and that's the process of learning how to listen yeah same development yeah. and and fortunately in what i teach people can master it in usually four to six weeks 
because what I teach is a very deep listening skill where we're ign literally ignoring the words and listening to emotions. And you do this for huh. you do this for a number of different reasons. You want to build instant loyalty or trust. Um, right. Listen to emotions rather than the words initially. You're not ignoring the person, but you. And the thing that's interesting when you're listening to emotions is that you will remember what they said because all memory is associated with emotion. So you mm -hmm. learn. You don't even have to take notes. You can you can yeah. listen to their emotions and then if you had to repeat back the, the essence of what what they were saying substantively. Really interesting mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> So how do you how do you measure how do you measure sales manager acquisition of knowledge? Now you do a lot of diagnostics. That's in the beginning. What's the assessment sure. that you use to to say whether or not you move the needle with these people? Well, we have a couple of methods. We have a one a formal assessment we use sometimes, um, and that can be sometimes a formal assessment can be a barrier for people. So we have to do a less formal over time. Right. Not filling something out on a screen, but it's more dialogue and, and we're assessing. Um, this is, uh, it's development planning, essentially, right? It's let's define success and, and understand what you are trying to achieve in the most specific and measurable terms possible. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about what you're doing to get there today. What's challenging about that? And what do we need to work on to put you in position to, to achieve that vision of success? So right at the very start, as we're kicking off an engagement with a team or an individual leader, it, the first conversation is, what are you trying to achieve? I know what your financial goals are. I know what the target is, but tell me more. Like, what's the, what's the rest of the vision here? Right. Um, and let's define what is the, like, the one or two things, because that's really as a practical matter. We can only really make a dent into one or, you know, maybe I'm saying one or two, and I'm really saying one, um, <laughs> you know, right. one thing at a time. And let's have a plan and agree that these are the development opportunities that we're going to stay focused on. And every conversation is in, in a sort of plan, do, review, plan, do, review. It's rhythmic, right? Let's, let's talk about specifically the thing that you're going to do that, that represents a step forward in this area. It's probably in context for the job, right? Some specific situation with a member of the team. But then, and then you go out and do it. And maybe we'll be there to observe. Maybe we won't. Depends on the engagement. But the very next thing we're going to do is we are going to review. We're going to talk about how did that go? Did you make progress? So the way that we measure, essentially, once that development plan is established, it's that we're checking for follow through. Did you do what you said you were going to do? You said you're going to have a conversation with the team or this individual about X or Y. Did you do it? Yeah. Right? Accountability. So, accountability. I mean, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, and we get asked that question a lot. How do you measure progress on this engagement? And that's what it is. It's like, we're going to, we're going to establish together a very clear vision of success and a development plan to get there. And over time, every single conversation will have that aspect of accountability. Did right. you follow through or not? And if we see somebody consistently who was not following through, then it's a yellow flag moment. Like, Hey, hang on a second. We're not sure this is someone who's really fully committed. Right. The process here. Let's figure out why that is. Yeah, there are other barriers. So I always talk about we're always looking, we're never looking for perfection. All we want is incremental improvement. All, right. we, all we look for. And if you just incrementally improve a little bit every single day, at, by the end of the year, you have moved the needle a huge amount. Right. And that's that's kind of the yeah. process that I use. Yeah, same, same approach here. Yeah. 
Um, well, it works because it's effective. And I, I've used this training murderers to be peacemakers in maximum security prisons and, and senior analysts at the Congressional Budget Office how to de-escalate members of Congress. So, wow, it, it works. Yeah, I'm not touching anything that way. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it, what, you're, what you're describing, for those of you who are listening, what, what Matt is talking about is the only system that I have found for work. And, and especially when you're thinking about coaching people as a leader, as a leader, you should be a coach. You're looking for incremental improvement and you're, and you're providing accountability and support. And if somebody doesn't provide, if they're not accountable, for example, go out and do this. And the next week they come back in a meeting and well, what happened? Well, I didn't do it. To your point, that's a yellow flag. And now what's going on? And typically a mindset problem here. Okay. The biggest barrier. I mean, I don't know about what you find, but I find that fear is the biggest barrier, fear of failure or fear of looking foolish or fear of looking stupid. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I find the same things. Yeah. And then and then and then the challenge is, I think, and I think is that, OK, now, how do we help them overcome their fear? And that can be easy or hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, the secret really is. Trial. That's why so much work. The work, so much of the work that we do is in context. It's like, well, let's just try it. Let's think about right. a different approach and what's yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen. They, you know, the person won't buy into what you're trying right. to get them to do. And we'll talk about that, but we have to try. Right. So what I try to do is set people up in the in the lowest risk, safest environments possible to start practicing. Mm-hmm. So that if they fail, they're not going to be embarrassed. They're not going to be humiliated. And it's just it just happened. You know, it didn't work. Fine. Great. The failures are more important than the successes because that's where we learn. Right. That's kind of the way I approach it. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, we're kind of getting close to the end of the hour. Um, if people want to contact you and reach out to you, how how do they do that? Well, I mean, LinkedIn is is where I kind of keep the an active and updated profile for sure. So if you go to LinkedIn.com slash in slash Matt McDarby, you'll find me there. Um, you can connect with me there. Um, uh, the company website you mentioned, www.usr-llc.com. I have a podcast. There's a, I try to make it as easy as possible to find me. Right. So you'll find links all over that website and on the LinkedIn profile. So either one of those places, I'm happy to talk to anyone who may be struggling with diagnosing sales performance issues at the very least it would be a half hour or an hour well spent because we'll probably get a little closer to the truth Absolutely. about what's getting in your way. Absolutely. One more, one more question for you. Yeah. A more personal question. What's one thing we wouldn't know about you unless you revealed it to us? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, yeah. one thing um, that, that surprises people is I've been married three times, but to the same girl. So there's a story there. Just renewal, renewal. We've been married 27 years and we'll do it again. Um, uh, So that's, that's one thing. The other would be that I am uh, the world's most frustrated golfer. Everybody, you know, thinks like, you know, I'm a consultant. I'm involved in selling. I must, I, I love and hate to play. And I've got a wicked slice that I think I've worked through. Um, and I'm hoping the next time I play, it, it doesn't come back. But well, that is chances exactly are the reason, it'll be back. That is exactly the reason I never took up golf. Because I knew I'd be frustrated by it. 
and yeah. I didn't I didn't have the me. What? Yeah. It keeps, have, keeps you humble. And it didn't and I didn't want to put the three to five thousand hours in it would take to get really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think I have about ten thousand in it. I'm so I'm not buying in on that. <laughs> okay. Well, ten thousand should be a master, but I guess right. You'd think. You'd yeah. think. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Listening with Leaders, Matt. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Doug. It's been great. I really enjoyed it. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.